0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I people be want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. Put it in context. So call me at one 800 73 cnbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today was a textbook example of why you should always buy stocks when the market gets clobbered, when it gets oversold. Dow jumping 512 points, S&P surging 2.14%. NASDAQ ah! poll 2.65%. Best day in five months. It's why I told you last night, that the moment of greatest exaggerated selling, the epicenter of the
1: House of Pain,
0: is the moment you need to. You know, I always say nobody ever made a dime panicking. <laughs> for the past two days, we have seen endless panic and that colossal deluge of fear must always be run to, not bye, run bye, bye. from. Sell, sell, sell. So what happened to spur today's phenomenal rebound with all three major averages giving you their best daily performance since January? Well, it's simple. People got too negative. There were three specific catalysts, but they couldn't have produced such an amazing move if investors hadn't already capitulated and so many people left the table. Let's take the good news piece by piece. First, there's the biggest driver of today's rally. Fed chief Jay Powell told us that he's monitoring the trade wars closely. And, and, and if he sees any economic fallout, he's willing to take action, quote, to sustain the expansion, end quote. Yet, if things get bad enough, Powell's implying he'll give us a rate cut. Suddenly, everyone who is shorting stocks has a major reason to cover! Second catalyst. A Chinese minister indicated the Chinese could take a softer line whatever upcoming trade talks there might be. That's a thin read. But if you're operating under the assumption that China would never budge and a deal might be impossible, it's definitely an improvement. I'm still skeptical. Although, if we do make genuine progress on trade... Well, I got to tell you, the averages are going to explode higher and stocks like Apple could catapult through all sorts of currently unthinkable levels. And the short sellers, well, let's just say. (laughs) Third and finally, the Mexican foreign minister assured the media that they're working with the White House to prevent the president's new tariffs from going into effect in six days. He said that there's an 80 percent chance that they can work out some kind of deal. That is incredibly reassuring, especially given the fact that Mexican tariff threat really is what crushed this market to begin with. We know Trump wants Mexico to do more to prevent illegal immigration to the United States. In other words, he wants them to pay for the wall, or the wall equivalent. Wall Street hates that the president is using tariffs to strong-arm our allies into doing his bidding. And they are our allies, by the way, and I understand why. But you know what? The Mexican economy is on fire right now, mostly thanks to the auto industry. 13 automakers produce about 4.5 million cars in Mexico. That's probably going to go to 5 million next year, most of which come to America So that 5% tariff gradually rising to 25% over time is a very big deal. That means the Mexican government has a major incentive to give Trump what he wants. And anything that forestalls these tariffs is excellent news for the stock market. Put it all together, and you've got the ingredients for a fabulous run, like the 500-point down move we had today. Of course, that's not any reason to get complacent. This morning, the president talked about how he wants every nation in NATO to start paying its fair share. Meaning he wants them to spend 2% of GDP on defense. In theory, that's what NATO members are supposed to pay. In practice, they rarely do. Germany spends 1.2% of its GDP on defense. Now, Trump said this many times before, but this time feels different, doesn't it? I think he's just itching for the chance to slap some tariffs on German cars. The thinking here is simple. If the tariffs can get him what he wants in Mexico, why not try with Germany? But the stock market really doesn't want yet another front in the trade war. So you've got to trade carefully just in case he thinks, well, hold it. Mark was up 500. Maybe that's what did it. It's not just the White House, frankly. We don't know if we can really trust these guys, j Powell. Hey, he can monitor the situation all he wants, but we have no idea how bad things need to get before he thinks it's appropriate to start cutting rates. Remember, this guy just tightened in December, wrongly. His comments today were a reminder that good things can still happen, but bullish comments about a possible rate cut, they, are should, they should never be confused with a rate cut itself. Uh, my other big fear, this market has a ridiculously short memory. Just yesterday, uh, Washington declared war on Facebook alphabet and Apple. Suddenly, the government's gotten religion on antitrust, at least in the tech sector. And that's not great for these colossal companies, of which I think uh, a couple have really made a lot of po- money for people. Yet today, the whole group rebounded, it, and it could continue tomorrow. Why? Because Salesforce CRM reported a fantastic set of numbers tonight. The cloud kings have been crushed of late. People say, what's happened to your cloud kings, Jim? It ain't my cloud kings, but Salesforce is, it's owned by the Chapel Trust. This Salesforce support, as you will hear later in the show when we interview co-CEO Mark Benioff, is a reminder of why it is so hard to give up on tech, even though so many people on TV, in print, on the web, always say, got to get out of it. As for Apple, justice is coming after them on antitrust grounds because if you want to download software on your iPhone, you do it through the App Store, where Apple can take as much as a 30% cut. Now, I'll more on this later. For now, let's just say that if the trade talks with the Chinese don't restart, I I think you can expect Apple to get hit, maybe with a a 10% tariff on its goods that are made in China. The antitrust investigation tells you that the White House considers Apple fair game. Doesn't matter that a tariff on iPhones will simply send more business to their foreign competitors like Samsung. Big win for that Korean company. Doesn't matter that two million people in this country benefit from Apple employee. The White House seems to believe that Apple should bring jobs back from China, even as those jobs were never here to begin with. Pretty silly if you ask me. Uh, But believe me, they ain't asking. Of course, even with all these worries, there were some tremendous positives today. The banks rallied in part because they benefited from a robust economy. So Powell's rate cut talk gave them a boost. we got analysts initiating coverage on Uber with multiple buy recommendations. The stock's now only a few points away from where it came public. Won't that be something if it crosses that line, 45? The bull thesis, Uber's not just a ride-sharing company. It's not just a cab company. It's an ecosystem that's expanded delivery and logistics. So can this market go any higher? Of course it can. The president loves it when the Dow Jones Industrial Average shoots up, although sometimes it's hard to tell, even as he seems less willing, of course, to help the Nasdaq because of Alphabet, Amazon, Apple and Facebook. Today's run was led by the Nasdaq, but also by the industrials as interest rates recovered. Isn't that funny? We have to talk about why it was good that rates go up, signaling the economy might be in better shape than we thought. The drug stocks weren't in anybody's crosshairs today, so they moved. Finally, the semiconductor stocks had a pronounced move higher, maybe too pronounced, given that the group is slowing. But if you think the semis are approaching a bottom and you think that there's going to be trade talks with China that could be successful, it makes sense. Bottom line. This weekend, the proprietary oscillator that I follow hit negative five, signaling that the market had gotten oversold enough to buy. And that's why I came in here yesterday and said, we're good to go. Sure enough, the oscillator worked again. That's the real reason why we could explode higher today uh, on some chatter from foreign officials and the Federal Reserve that the market was just a coiled spring. So remember, good things can still happen, but don't get overconfident because bad things can happen too. Doug in Nevada, Doug! Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my, my
2: stock is LVS with that very attractive dividend. Jim, is there anything holding these big gamers back except maybe the situation in
1: China? Well, you know, trade? the numbers,
0: I just got the numbers out of Nevada last week. They weren't so hot. Um, but I agree with you. I think LVS, dividend, good. China, a little bit, you know, we get a little bit of a break in China. The stock goes much higher. I want you own that stock. I like that call. Let's go to Mike in Georgia. Mike. Reverend Jim Bob. Uh, like the old Mike, uh, Mark Haynes used to call me. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, shout out to you and your sh- terrific staff. What I a staff. A problem here with Cypress Semis being taken over by Infineon. Yeah. Do I buy, sell, or hold? No, we're done. We're done. We're kachinging, kachinging there. It so, was a so, great so, call. So, so the CEO so came on and basically told you, "We're not doing anything wrong, like the other guys. We're making a ton of money." And what a great call by him! I sure hope people bought. All right, reasons to rally. Sure, there are pauses. Uh, they can't be ignored. I don't want you to get complacent, though, because uh, we're tweet away from undoing some of this stuff. Oh, all right, buddy, tonight is the force still with Salesforce after earnings. I'm sitting down with the co-CEO of Fresh Office Support. Then, if Trump's proposed tariff for Mexican products goes through, what impact could it have on Chipotle? I'm talking with the company's head honcho. And I'm sitting down with the CEO of Emergent BioSolutions to discuss the opioid drug crisis and the fight over drugs that are used for, I don't know, all sorts of What do we make of the cloud kings after today's magnificent rebound? This group has been in a funk with Salesforce down 17 bucks from its recent highs. But tonight, Salesforce reported a super strong quarter, excluding the impact of some mark-to-market accounting. The company earned 66 cents per share. Wall Street was only looking for 61, and revenue came in higher than expected, at 24% year-over-year. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast for both the top and bottom line. In short, it was a pretty darn clean beat and a raise. So could the stock have more than run. Let's take a closer look with Mark Benioff. He is the visionary co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Salesforce. Get a better sense of the quarter and what lies ahead. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Well, great to see you, Jim. Thanks so much for having me back. And hello from San Francisco. There you go, Mark. This was
0: a terrific uh, acceleration. Not that you necessarily needed it, but acceleration earnings. Uh, I've got to tell you, Europe up 32, Asia up 23. These are areas that we thought were more abundant. How are you doing this?
3: Well, Jim, every customer is going through a massive digital customer, customer transformation. And when you see this transformation happening, it's just incredible to watch. I mean, this is as big as Y2K was for the tech industry. Every company is going through it. And every one of these major transformations is exactly that. It begins and ends with the customer. But if that's the case, customer relations management,
0: I'm looking at a chart. Salesforce is number one, share 16.8%. Yes. The other guys, 5.7, <laughs> 5.6, 3.5, 3.4%. That, 4. by the
3: way, is good. That, that is good. We're number one in CRM, which is the fastest growing part of enterprise software because every company in every industry and every government is recreating themselves with their customer. So we're, this, is, this is what's driving our growth. It's pure e- and simple. Every government, what is the USDA doing with Salesforce? Oh, Jim, you know what? The federal government was one of the most exciting things that happened in the quarter. And it wasn't just the USDA. It was also the Department of Education, Department of Interior. Uh, It was many departments, actually. And they're going through a huge digital transformation in the US federal government. And Salesforce has been able to offer many of those agencies the rapid, successful digital transformation that they need. We even had a 10,000-person event in Washington, DC during the quarter. And uh, that that continues to be a fantastic growth area for us. But
0: at the same time, you're not changing your advocacy. Uh, You updated your policy recently to turn away customers and sell a wide range of firearms to private citizens online, including a small number of existing clients. You turned business down, didn't
3: you? Well, Jim, look, look, I'm a lifelong hunter. You know that. My fondest memories of my father were hunting in the orange fields here in Visalia, California, I've done that my entire life, and I've been a lifelong gun owner. Uh, so when our employees came to us and said that we had customers who wanted to start selling bump stocks on our service on our commerce cloud, which is you know also selling Adidas shoes, I said, well, that's an ethics question. And you probably know that last year we actually created a whole department called the Office of Ethical Use. Yes. So we gave that issue to them, and we said, well, is this ethical? What are we going to do? And they said, look, yes, you can sell certain weapons on our cloud, but you cannot sell bump stocks and you cannot sell other types of things that we viewed as extreme. And so we made some changes, and unfortunately, we had to make a couple of adverse decisions with some aggressive customers.
0: All right. Well, that you've got a lot of things going that people might say are not necessarily going to produce earnings per share. A million Americans for the jobs of today and tomorrow by signing the White House pledge. This is going to produce earnings per share later on, right? I mean, not up front, but it's going to work.
3: Well, Jim, that is probably the most exciting thing that I have seen happening in the Salesforce ecosystem. Now you probably know that we have this broad ecosystem that surrounds our company. And while we're talking about these incredible results here today, these numbers, I mean, I'm so happy with what I see. You know, the one thing that makes me even more excited is the work we're doing with people retraining them, reskilling them is kind of the technical word. We're able to get people onto this service. We call it Trailhead. And if you haven't been on trailhead.com, This is an amazing place to go. You can learn all the technical skills to be successful in this Salesforce ecosystem. And our customers are just on there at an incredibly high rate. We have more than a million users on that now. And 25%, Jim, said that they changed jobs in the last year because of the skills that they got on trailhead.com. And we even have an amazing event in Indianapolis just a couple weeks ago, you probably know this with Ivanka right. Trump, we signed that White House pledge for jobs because we're reskilling America and that's our job. You know, we want to make sure everybody can participate in the fourth industrial revolution. That's really exciting to me. And to see the success on the faces of the broad range of people who've had this capability. Well, that that is uh, just setting us up for a tremendous future.
0: I don't want to lose sight of the healthy buildings, how it's terrific, but I did get to meet several people at uh, Dreamforce. Uh, One woman who said, I was a housewife and now I am a boss of 35 people with something I started on my kitchen table. And that was not unusual.
3: Or a factory worker, anybody who participated maybe in jobs that don't exist anymore, they can get onto trailhead.com. They can reskill. And this is proven, it's easy, and it's free. And uh, that's why we've had such great support, not just from the White House, but from thousands of our customers who are also now deploying this inside their own companies. And we have a product called mytrailhead.com so you, as a Salesforce customer, can set up your own internal reskilling system with your products and uh, that's and build your own ecosystem. I mean, we want everyone to be as successful as we are.
0: Okay, you uh, have Southwest Air, big customer win. Uh, Mr. Kelly, absolutely sensational. I try to interview him every quarter. But they have the uh, Boeing uh, 737 MAX. How can I use Salesforce if I'm Gary Kelly to make it so that I keep my customers happy?
3: That's all about employee experience. They've really pivoted our product and using it for employee experience. That's using our communities and our service cloud and many other products that we have to kind of deliver HR service or HR help desk. And they have 60,000 employees who are now using our services doing that. That was a surprise for us to see employee experience open up so broadly inside our customer base, Jim. Uh, but HRMS has been so successful. Companies like Workday have been so successful that they're looking for services to ride alongside those to help those employees become even more successful themselves, that's what Southwest is doing.
0: Well, Mark, you can help me. You were with Ivanka. I've done for years. You've done a a lot of great things to try to train people. But I see uh, lately what I regard as a war on tech. Uh, The president, simultaneously, uh, Facebook, uh, when I know we both think that there's some issues there. But Alphabet, don't feel them as as politicized organization. Uh, Apple, right in the middle of the developers conference, for heaven's sake. I mean, this is something that seems to me ill-advised. Is there a way to kind of get tech back on track or is this all just a one-off?
3: Well, Jim, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this point. (laughs) Because, and we've talked about this before on this show now for, you know, more than 18 months, that I feel so strongly, Jim, that we are at a point in our industry where enough is enough. And we need to, like, get the values straight with these tech companies. And there are some things going on in regards to the manipulation of their consumers, the misuse of the data, serious issues with privacy. And those values need to change, and some of those companies need to be held accountable for what's going on. So I'm actually all in on this. I actually think it's maybe a little too little too late. They should be more aggressive. We're following behind what the European Union is doing, Jim. The European Union is the ones who are the leaders in this area, not just in privacy with GDPR, but with their European action against these companies when they misuse data, misuse privacy, or take advantage of customers. I mean, there's things that have happened in our industry that are embarrassing to me. So let's clean it up and let's get back where, you know, that Facebook is not the new cigarettes. You know, that's what I've been right. saying to everybody. That, that you know, let's, let's make it all great again, if you will. That is, let's make tech have the values that we all want it to have, and uh, let's uh, take care of our customers so, so they and put the consumers themselves. you You're this telling me I they brought it on themselves. Absolutely. Well, I think absolutely, Jim. Wow. And I think that now is the time for them to, you know, basically clean it up. It's not too late. It never is. And uh, that what is what has to happen. You can see companies who have not made these changes, their executives have walked out. Right. I mean, they buy these huge companies, and you've seen they walk out. of them. When they, Those people are friends of mine. I'll say, why are you leaving this company? Well, I don't like the values. I don't like what's important to that CEO. And that CEO said this to me, I'm leaving. Wow, that's amazing. And then you saw the customers leave. You know, you saw advertisers leave. I mean, that has to change, Jim. So I think that there needs to be corrective action and needs to come from the government. And I'm for the regulations that are coming in here. Mark, I've got one
0: more question, really important. Some of your customers have to be hurt by tariffs. You have a robust quarter,
3: but I'm concerned that the tariffs are hurting people. Well, Jim, I don't think we're at that point yet, but we definitely could be almost there. And I'll tell you, I've been on the road nonstop this entire quarter. I've been in Japan, I've been in Europe, I've been throughout the entire United States, and even last Friday, I was in I was in Minneapolis. And I'm not going to tell you what customers that these are impacting, but I can see it in the faces of these CEOs that they have anxiety around what's going on with trade and. You know, while it hasn't hurt these companies yet, it could. And so I really hope that these discussions come to an end now.
0: All right. I think that's a, a, a really important plea because a lot of the people I deal with feel exactly the same. Mark Benioff, thank you so much. Really great to talk to you.
1: Coming up, the guac is extra, but this interview is free. Kramer crunches the numbers with Chipotle's CFO. Next. After recommitting to the basics of freshness... Chipotle stock feasted, but as tariffs loom over this block stock's key ingredient, can new leadership guide the company to the new digital era of fast casual? We
0: got an in-person tweet. Just a very exciting, very exciting guest in one second. But just because uh, Jay Powell, our valiant Fed chairman, says he'll. Cut interest rates. President Trump's trade war does too much damage to the economy. That doesn't mean we can just forget about those new tariffs on imports from Mexico. Even in the suddenly more bullish environment, companies that source from Mexico need to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Take Chipotle, which has been one of the hottest turnaround stories in this market. Even though its stock has been treading water for the past couple months, a lot of people were worried that Trump's new tariffs would hit Chipotle right in the guacamole. But yesterday morning, the company told us that the impact would be minor, 15 at most. And if the tariffs become permanent, they'll find other ways to offset the cost. They might need to raise the cost of a burrito by a nickel. That's much better than fear. You have to wonder if that's the whole story, if it even matters. Maybe there are other forces at work much more positive, like delivery. So given that this company's in phenomenal shape and it's not really in the blast radius of the trade war, let's take a closer look with Jack Hartung. He's the Chipotle Mexican Grill's chief financial officer. You usually see him on satellite to get a better sense about how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Hartung, welcome back to Mad Money. I can't believe we've got him right here. Hey, Jack, Tim. good to see you. Good to see you, too. Okay, uh, Jack, I, I want to dispense with something very quickly. In truth, guacamole, uh, it's important to you, but it's really not going to impact the earnings system.
4: Well, th- this event is not going to impact us. You know, we sell a lot of uh, guacamole. About half of our customers, when they come in, they get guacamole. We serve about six to 700,000 orders every single day. And all those avocados come in. They come in a whole avocados. We dice the onions. We dice the jalapenos. Um, you know, so it's all made from scratch, and we do it every single day. And we're committed to keep doing it that way. This is going to have a minor impact. You just mentioned it yourself. Right. We buy a number of items from Mexico, but we spend about $1.6 billion a year on our ingredients. And this is a, an impact of about $15 million this year, a little bit That's more this year. That's all? this
0: year. Why now, are we did just like the African swine flu? Another thing we shouldn't be talking about. It's a about. very manageable part of the business. All right, let's talk about what is working. Yeah. I am in shock that you have such great digital work so quickly. And this, delivery, this travels better than any food on earth. It is amazing to me that it can be so natural, so organic, and yet travel so well. What is the secret? Well, the
4: secret is that's all made from whole fresh ingredients. You know, we cook our chicken every single day. We make the rice every single day. The chips, we fry the chips every single day. So we start with great ingredients and then real cooking. Turns out our burrito does travel well. But we've got other digital assets as well, Jim, that makes digital really important and delivery important. We make all of our food for delivery on a second make line. And so when we have delivery order where the driver is going to come at noon, right. we're making it to be ready right at noon. But make you count always out had
0: that line. Is that just luck of the draw? Well,
4: it's it's now really coming. It's an asset we've always had, but right. it's really paying off because delivery is now, at an, in terms of demand, our customers want Chipotle, and they want it as convenient as they can get it, but, and delivery is a big deal.
0: But tell them, I mean, the percentage that's delivery. The over-
4: is huge. 15. Yeah. Well that's
0: not uh, just delivery. That's not that's digital. That's, that's digital. digital.
4: Up from 8 last year, it's it's double from last year.
0: How's that
4: possible? Everyone's struggling with digital. Well, Chipotle is the kind of food that people want to eat and digital and delivery is the convenience that they want with Chipotle. And so the better we execute them in terms of making sure the burrito travels well, tastes delicious, and we have great partners in terms of uh, a DoorDash Postmates and Toppingo, um, when they deliver and we deliver, you know, in terms of de- right. uh, delicious food, our customers they hit the button, they they order delivery again. Can you handle the demand? We we can and we can because of the second make line. Okay. Um, you know, we're still off of our all time highs in terms of volume, so we still have capacity to get back to where we were before. We were a two point five million dollar average volume concept. Right. We're now over two million, but right. now we have this other asset, this digital make line that we used to make. Uh, only about four or five percent of our sales. Yeah. Now it's 16. So we still have a lot of capacity to go. Now,
0: what, you've had five consecutive quarters of accelerating, not up, but accelerating comps. 9.9 percent comps, best of any restaurant that I follow, and I follow every single restaurant. I think last year the story was, uh, can they come back? This year is the story of, uh, can you really top that?
4: Yeah, listen. I I think that is the changing dynamic when we talk to our investors. I think Jim, there's three things that are driving. One, we just talked about digital. Second, marketing under Chris Brandt and his team doing a phenomenal job, and they're connecting with customers. What I love about the marketing is most of it, or really all of it, is around what makes Chipotle special. It's real whole ingredients. It's real cooking. And what I love about the latest commercials that you know that we saw behind the foil, there's no script. I mean, the idea is, is, is it's our crew with our food in our restaurants. There's no studio, there's no script, and there's no actors in it. And so that's connecting. And then the last piece is operations. Scott Boatwright and his team, they're doing a great job of hiring the right people, training them to deliver a great experience, and it's all working at the same time. How
0: can you afford, and you, you pull the best there is, how can you afford to get the right people that... Labor market's so tight in this country. Jack.
4: You know, we're we're uh, we've been fortunate. We can attract people because um, our our crew or or our customers like to become our crew because they like our ethos. They like right. what we stand for. Right. The hard part is keeping them. And so what we need to do to keep them, especially within the first ninety days, is make sure that we train them. Make sure we set them up for success. Because within ninety days, it's a hard job if you work in a very very busy restaurant right. and if you're not fully trained. You might say, you know what? I'm going to go work down the street and it's going to be an easier job. So our job and this is a key focus for Scott and his team is to make sure that we really invest in those first 90 days, make sure we set our folks up for success. And when
0: that happens, they can stay and they'll within a couple of years they could be a manager and earning great bucks. Okay, so you've got that incentive, but there is also a different ethos in terms of purpose. It right. seems like there is no purpose to a lot of the other it, 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 let's just put: it, you got to make some money. You go to a, a fast food place. This seems very different. Has that been able to transcend the change in management at the top? Uh, yeah, totally. And that's that's you know you know Jim, I've been with Chipotle for a long time. I know you carry right through, and you're always coming on the show in good times and in bad.
4: Times and and, and bad. that really matters to us. The beauty of this new team that's come in with Brian and the whole team that we've assembled, every single person came in and they knew about Chipotle. They admired Chipotle from the outside. And as they came in and realized, oh, my God, Chris Pratt, the first time he came in, he went to the back of the house. He said, oh, my God, it's like a farmer's market. And He, he knew what right. we stood for, right. but when he saw it, it really came to life. And that really inspired the marketing campaign. And so the entire team is just lit up about the purpose. Right. Every one of us want to preserve our ability to source these these higher quality,
0: wholesome ingredients, and keep real cooking in the restaurant, because that's the way people want to eat nowadays. Ron Shake, who was a fantastic operator at Panera, had a huge number of loyalty uh, people. He had a very successful right. loyalty program. You've got a good loyalty program. Is it going to be a great one? Are we going to see multiple millions of people in it? It's going to be a great one. Um, just within uh, the first
4: several weeks at the time of our earnings call, we had 3 million um, you know, members enrolled. Pretty incredible. That was a matter of weeks. It continues to grow. We'll give an update, uh, you know, next month, our earnings call. We think it's going to be a great one. The response so far has been phenomenal. What's the 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 best part that we've heard about or that we've seen so far is that it's not just our most loyal customers are joining. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're joining, but we're we're finding lapsed and casual customers that are joining as well. Um, and they like the program. It's very easy. The rewards are very fair. And so uh, so far, it's off to a great start. And we we have high expectations for. No,
0: I that. think rewards programs work. Uh, I also think that. Price works, yeah. and uh, you managed to hold the line on price, but you're still a little bit north. I was at Wendy's this weekend. I don't worry. I probably Chipotle today, uh, and someone ate all my guac. No, thank you. Um, are you able to uh, gauge how the how much the consumer is willing to spend? I know that the numbers that you have show me it's not just traffic; it's store. How much they're spending when they're in? Um, is there a level where you're worried? You know, uh, we're well
4: below that level. Okay. Uh, when we've done, we're right in the middle of doing a study right now. And the study so far is showing us that we still have terrific value scores. People appreciate where our food comes from, that we're doing real cooking. And when they compare us to other fast, casual competitors that are coming on the scene, we're much, much, much cheaper than them. Now, our goal is to never push that too far. Our goal is to always be affordable. And we think if people understand where our food comes from, that we're we're involved in
0: real cooking um, and serve delicious meals and it's affordable... Our customers, hopefully, will keep coming back. Oh, I think they will. One of the things I just want to point out as we wrap things up is that Jack always did, as I said, came on during the good times and during the bad times. That's why we never lost hope. That's why you have a very big gain, and there's no reason to sell. If anything, there's a reason to buy. That's Jack Hartung. He's the CFO of Chipotle. Mayor have back after the break. First to with the biotech stocks here, the whole health care cohort has been in the crosshairs in recent months lately because many of the Democrats running for president are campaigning on Medicare for all. And even the more moderate candidates want to crack down on out-of-control drug prices. I think these worries are overblown. I mean, even Senator Elizabeth Warren says she's open to multiple paths on healthcare. When you hear Medicare for all, think Medicare for more. And if that's the case, there might be some real opportunities here. You might want to take a look at some of the smaller biotech players, like Emergent BioSolutions. Here's a company that makes vaccines, including the only FDA-approved anthrax vaccine, as well as products like Narcan nasal spray. You've probably heard of that. It's what you give people when they overdose on opioids. Just yesterday, Yesterday, Emergent won a major contract with the Department of Health and Human Services for a compound that treats complications from the smallpox vaccine. It's part of a stockpile. Hopefully, we never need it. When the stock zoomed on the news, Emergent has been having a tough year, okay? So it's really kind of an interesting moment. Some of this because last year, they bought Adept Pharma for the Narcan business. And Teva recently got approval for a generic version of the same thing. So could this stock be ready to run? Let's dig deeper with Robert Kramer, no relation. The president and CEO of Emergent Biosolutions to get a better read on his company and its prospects. Mr. Kramer, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. Pleasure to meet you, Jim. All right. So let's go right into it. That's a gigantic contract about smallpox. When I first heard about it, I said to myself, we're all inoculated with smallpox. I can still see the vaccine. Why do we need to spend $600 million on smallpox? But apparently there's some real issues with smallpox that we do need to be immune against, right?
2: Sure. So smallpox is one of the biologic threats that Many countries, including the United States, is most concerned about from a, a weapon. Uh, so our country stockpiles both therapeutics as well as vaccines to protect our civilians and military populations from the threat of smallpox. So the contract that you uh, mentioned yesterday that we announced was for the therapeutic uh, piece of our smallpox franchise. We also have a smallpox vaccine uh, that we're in contract negotiations with the U.S. government as well that we expect to complete in the coming months. And it's not
0: just uh, that terrible disease, uh, typhoid, uh, cholera, these are all right in your wheelhouse, right? I mean, you must have some special expertise in this stuff.
2: Well, they, they are. So our company was formed in 1998 around public health threats in general. So our focus is on protecting life. Uh, ensuring that these public health threats are dealt with effectively. So we have partnered for more than 20 years with the U.S. government as well as foreign governments to come up with durable long-term solutions to prepare for and protect against these chemical and biologic threats, as well as traveler's vaccines like typhoid and cholera, right. and then more recently, the, the opioid crisis.
0: Uh, okay, let's talk about the opioid crisis. I think Narcan's amazing. You have a nasal spray, a schools program, but you do have Teva, and Teva's been known for, to, for ruining other people's, mar- people's margins. Can you still make money on Narcan with Teva in there?
2: So we, we can. I mean, obviously, when we did the diligence on the Narcan nasal spray product last year, uh, we thoroughly looked at the competition, the markets, both who were in there and as well as potential competition. Uh, we got comfortable with the patent protection uh, of the product. and But most importantly, beyond that, I mean, we're focused as a company on making sure that Narcan nasal spray is made available uh, and made affordable uh, and accessible to the 34 million patients. Uh, who CDC has determined are at risk of an opioid overdose.
0: Uh, I know you've got this great program. Each State Department of Education or individual school can prepare high schools, colleges, and universities across the country uh, for an opioid overdose emergency by stocking Narcan nasal spray. What a great idea. But are these schools doing anything? Once someone's been saved by Narcan, are they recidivists, or can you teach them or help them or or, or really just kind of give them some sort of therapy that they won't be in trouble again?
2: Well, I think that's part of the the whole uh, comprehensive solution to the opioid crisis yeah. is it's not just uh, coming up with medical countermeasures like Narcan nasal spray, but it's it's awareness, it's education to make sure that this
0: recidivism doesn't happen again. Yeah, because it really is just, it is the nationwide epidemic. It, it is. Now let's ask, I want to ask you about a couple of these that you're working on. Uh, it does say you've got a seasonal flu uh, for in phase three. A lot of people caught the flu and took the shot. Is yours going to be more powerful?
2: So ours is a, is a therapeutic. It's a flu IG product. So it's not a, a vaccine. It's a therapeutic product for rescue therapy. So when you present serious symptoms in the hospital and it's too late to immunize, then you take our, our therapeutic do flu product. To, do we have to do it
0: just in the hospital? What happens if we catch really bad flu and we're at home?
2: then uh, you take a, thera- a pre-therapeutic or a vaccine. Okay.
0: Now, how about Zika, which I thought was wiped out? Was I wrong about that? Well, Zika is still,
2: uh, you know, still a potential threat. So we work across the, uh, a, a number of pipeline products that we have in development for many infectious diseases, as well as chemical and biologic threats. So, uh, as you indicated, we do a lot of work on, in the area of anthrax and smallpox and botulism. Uh, and continue to look at traveler's vaccines for typhoid, uh, as well as and cholera. And you can make money on these,
0: because I see you're trying to do something to Ebola. My concern would be that as public health, you have to give it away.
2: So we, we, uh, we don't have to give it away. I mean, okay. our approach is a little different from a typical pharmaceutical company. Uh, we typically like to... Uh, contract with customers for long-term procurement contracts, so five to 10 years in duration. And when we come up with a fair and reasonable price for that 10-year period, uh, it gives the customer the insurance of what they're going to have to pay for the product. But it also gives us the, the capital to invest long-term in infrastructure and capability so we can be that durable, reliable partner to governments foreign and domestic to make sure that these kind of measures are available. Well, one last question, Mr. Kramer. I mean,
0: I feel scared. And I don't. You mean you don't mean to scare me? I mean, maybe it's because I'm watching that Chernobyl thing. I can't see the disease, but I mean, smallpox. These are terrible illnesses, and there are bad countries out there. Is this something we should worry about?
2: Well, I think our country, in particular, is doing everything they should to make sure that we are prepared. Uh, and and to protect civilians and military populations from bad people doing bad things. Well, I
0: you know, I feel better. I know that you're working on it hard. I understand that you can make some money, too. So it's a good thing that you're doing, and maybe, you know, the shareholders can make some money, too. Well, I think they will, and uh, a lot
2: of credit, Jim, goes to our 1,600 employees who wake up every day looking sure. for an opportunity
0: to make a difference. Well, excellent. Thank you so much to Robert Kramer, president and CEO of Emergent Biosolutions. Wow, they do some pretty amazing things. I want to thank you so much. Man, back. After the break. Thank you. It is time to start the light round. What's up, rapper? One of those. You see this thing started by by by. And then the light round. Are you ready, skater? Time for the light round. Cause we're to go to Ben and George Ben. Hey, Jim, my question's about AMAG Pharmaceuticals. It's A-M-A-G. I know it. It's way too speculative. Honestly, there's some really great drug stocks that are down so much. Why not just go buy Lily? Brandon in South Carolina. Brandon! yeah Chief! Yeah. What a difference a day made. Yes, absolutely. You're quite, very current. Yep. Well, uh,
1: Jim, I made some cash at the end of April looking at some stocks which have recently got slammed, specifically... Benefit focused. Well, it's a cloud
0: based company. I mean, look, I'd rather see him one of our kings. ServiceNow would be in there, Workday, uh, and of course, Salesforce.com. Let's go to Kenny and Marilyn. Kenny!
3: Hi, Jim. Kenny from Maryland. I'd like your long term view on NIO
1: Neo, the Chinese. Well, you know, it's a total
0: Chinese spec, and I, I know it's going to, I believe it's going to stay in business it's at three bucks. Never forget, though, sometimes stocks can still go down even from three. Let's go to Brandon in Florida, Brandon.
1: Yes, sir, I was hoping that I could persuade you to share your thoughts on Hexo.
0: Yeah, here's my thoughts, don't buy it. I like uh, Canopy Growth, it's the only one I'm really recommending right now, other than Kronos. Dave in Illinois, Dave.
1: Dr. Kramer. Hey, Dave, how you been? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Buenos tardes, como esta amigo? Well,
0: I just got back from St. Louis Potosi, so I totally get that. It means, what's the stock?
3: <laughs> yeah, Jim, my stock for today, Rick Santelli and I like CME Group.
0: Well, you're absolutely right, and CME is a winner, and I feel like I should have gotten behind it when the stock was much slower. It's never too late. How about the Muhammad in New Jersey? Muhaming. booyah Jim, what's going on, man? That's a definitive one. What's going on with you? Man, I'm
1: good. I'm trying to see what's going on with this Microsoft, man. Well, here's this what's going on
0: Microsoft. Bye, 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 bye. I did a video bye, bye, this bye, morning. Bye, bye, and people bye, saying, you know, bye, I'm bye, I'm saying, you bye, know bye, people said, well, what do you think? What do you think? I said, bye, 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 bye. Okay, let's go to Allen in Pennsylvania. Allen. Hey, Tim. Uh, Springfield, Philadelphia Eagles. Booyah to you. Man, that is a coalition that I can get behind. What's going on? There you go. Uh, in this turbulent market, I need a relatively safe uh, investment for my mad money. And I'm, I want to get a buy, seller or hold on Ari Biopharma. Man, that's at a 52-week high. Why don't you buy one at 52-week low? Why don't you buy Bristol-Myers? Because once that cell gene deal gets together, man, Dr. Kafara is going to do a great job. Hillary in New Jersey. Hillary. Hi, Jim. Hey, um,
1: quick question for you. Okay. Um,
0: what's your opinion on Adobe growth and earnings? One of my Cloud Kings, Adobe. I think it soars tomorrow off Salesforce, even though I think that Salesforce and Adobe are not that close with each other anymore. Let's go to Mitch in North Carolina. Mitch! Jim Kramer. Booyah. Yes. Booyah, Mitch. Hey, uh, what do you think about AMD? What's your opinion on AMD! Lisa Sue is delivering! She is shredding the industry! <laughs> bye, bye, They've bye, got bye, the bye, best bye, products bye, that bye, rise in chip bye, is unbelievable. Bye, and that, bye, ladies and am the Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: <laughs> Don't let today's terrific run fool you, big tech. Well, I still think it's in trouble. So how should we think about the fact that the government's coming after Alphabet and Apple on antitrust grounds while the FTC is targeting Facebook and Amazon? What, they decide to go after Fang? I wish I'd never created the darn thing. Netflix is spared. Now, I have some experience with this issue. More than 20 years ago, when I was struggling to get the street.com off the ground, I had a meeting with the folks at America Online. They were offering $2 million in exchange for content for the financial portal. The AOL guys were gracious and welcoming, and I was thrilled because 20 years ago, there was no way you could become big on the web without AOL. Uh, They were so powerful, it was ludicrous. Then one day, the legendary Bob Pittman came to my office, where I was trying to run the street out of my old hedge fund. Pittman was a godlike figure. He created MTV. MTV, wow. And now he was going to work that same magic at AOL. So he comes to me and presents a superb, dazzling deck about how the street.com could cement its relationship with AOL. I was ecstatic looking at the page after page after page. And then I got to the last page. Instead of AOL paying us $2 million, we had to pay them $2 million. I was aghast. Hey, Pittman's a brilliant guy. He said, I was free to take my business elsewhere. But back then, there really wasn't anywhere else to go. These days, though, the Justice Department says that that's anti-competitive behavior. That's the essence of the case against Apple. Once you buy an iPhone, Apple decides what software can be sold through its app store, and they can take up as much as a 30% cut. Of course, just like uh, with AOL, you're free to find some other way to distribute your product, but sometimes that's not much of a choice. Still, why should Apple be punished for offering a great service? Uh, since when's that a bad thing? How about Alphabet, parent company of Google? Here's a company that has a lot of trouble working with its partners because it so often wants to go into business against them. If they feel like it, they can tilt their search engine against you, change the algo. Again, you don't have to advertise on Google. You're free to find another gigantic search engine. Just don't hold your breath. As for Amazon and Facebook, they both abuse their users by steering them away from competitors, as Amazon has done, and selling their data to the highest bidder, Facebook's stock and sickening trade. Sure, Amazon gives consumers lower prices, but they also drive their competitors out of business. As for Facebook, this is another case where you're free to go elsewhere. You go to Instagram. Ooh. Facebook owns Instagram. As someone who wants these stocks to go higher, I can't say I'm thrilled about any of this. Although, as someone who was on the other end of this dynamic when AOL was calling the shots, I get where the regulators are coming from. Now, Apple comes in for special scorn because they have so much exposure to China. I mean, that could end up be they could end up being hit with tariffs over here and a boycott over there, on top of antitrust investigation. I think that's ridiculously punitive for the greatest company ever. Ever created? I do fear what justice and the FTC can do to these companies. Uh, what can I say? I could have used that kind of antitrust enforcement when I started the street.com, but instead I had to pay the Piper. Piper being Bob Pittman at AOL. Regardless of how you feel about the issue, these stocks are less attractive than they were just 48 hours ago. They are now in the crosshairs, e- even if they don't deserve to be. And I think that most don't. One does. It's not a good place to be. Stick with Kramer. This Workday reported a fabulous number. The cloud kings have been going down. And I've been railing that perhaps that is just wrong. Because then Neil Bush, the CEO of Workday, told a great story right here. Well, so did Mark Benioff, the co-CEO of Salesforce tonight. And now these stocks have come down to the point that, you know, a ServiceNow and Adobe? A, <laughs> without a doubt, a Salesforce. Time to buy. Workday soon, too. I think it kind of works. Now, what do we do with Apple. Uh, I don't know. It seems so punitive to me, it's pretty ridiculous. I think that Apple will come out okay, provided that we get a deal with China. Uh, Facebook, that's a horse of a different color. You heard what Mark Benioff said about some of the bad actors. You know he's talking about Facebook, don't you? I mean, because, yes, people ran out of there. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.